Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here you go. Here you go. Bucks. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Thursday, September 28th, 2023. And my birth town, the Milwaukee Bucks, are leading the news across the nation for pulling off the trade of the decade, maybe the greatest trade of all time, because it came out of nowhere. Dame Lillard is going to Ma Ilwaukee. For those of you not paying attention to the Dame Lillard situation, let me bring it back just a little bit when he said, I am taking my talents to South Beach. I'm not going to Portland. I'm not going anywhere but Miami. And you recall that the general manager, Joe Cronin of the Trailblazers said, thank you for your input, Dame, but we'll let you know where you're going to go, if anywhere at all. Time passed, July August, September. As a matter of fact, earlier this week on Nothing Personal, we did a trade call between Jody Allen, the owner of the Trailblazers, Mickey Arison, the owner of the Heat, and it turns out a seven-day Caribbean cruise was not enough incentive to get the Trailblazers to trade Lillard to his preferred destination. I was in the middle of filming something yesterday, got an alert on the phone, Breaking news, Lillard traded in three-team deal two, and the way my eyes read it, I saw the muh. So I just assumed it was Miami. And it turned out to be Milwaukee. You can go elsewhere for the particulars of the trade because that doesn't interest me to spend time. Other than players went to Phoenix, players went to Portland. We got to talk about something a little different, which is the following. Two days ago, Drew Holiday of the Milwaukee Bucks said, I'm a Milwaukee Buck for life. I love it here. Deep in my heart, I don't want to play for any other team. A day later, he's going to the Pacific Northwest. Dame Lillard, I want to play for Miami. That's the only place I want to play. Months later, hours later, he's playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis said, I want to play where we can win a championship. I love Milwaukee. I love the Brewers. I love beer. My family's happy here. I enjoyed the parade in 21. All of that said, if you don't do something to make me feel as though you are trying to win a championship every single year, then that $173 million extension that I'm eligible to sign at the end of the year, I'm not going to do it. So do me a favor, front office. Show me. Show me, don't tell me. Player empowerment is alive and well. But it's Giannis 
not Dame. They're going to be people who tell you throughout the course of the day that Dame got himself out of Portland and that it shows the player empowerment is alive and well because he wanted to trade and got a trade and the Trailblazers gave in and traded him. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not buying it. The Trailblazers did not do what he wanted at all. Instead, they took the best deal for themselves, which is exactly what a front office should do. If you want to keep your job as a GM, you don't let a player tell you where that player wants to go. You decide what is in the best interest of your franchise, and you do it with reckless abandon. If Lillard doesn't want to report to Milwaukee, no problem. If he doesn't want to report to Portland training camp and you decide you wanted to keep him, no problem. Put the onus on him. Is it correct that the trade to the Bucks is better for the Blazers than the trade supposedly that was in place with the Heat? Tyler Hero and two first-round picks? Time will tell, but that's not relevant when you're evaluating empowerment today. Lillard did not get what he wanted. Coca, before the show started, said to me, why are you saying that, David? Why Player empowerment is completely alive and well with Dame. He wanted out of Portland, and it's not as though he was sent to some outpost. It's not as though you traded Burley to Toronto. You traded a player to a team that will be on national television 19 times, a team that adding Lillard is now going to be a favorite to not just advance to the finals, but win the NBA finals. You traded Lillard to a place the same way that the Blazers traded Drexler to Houston. And he was able to get a ring with Elijah Wan. Lillard is being traded to Milwaukee where he can get his first ever ring with Giannis. It was like a gift, except it's the gift that Dame didn't want. No matter what he says now, no matter how many times he tweets or instas, let's go Milwaukee, can't wait to get on the 94 and the 43, maybe I'll get a place in Mequon. No, I am not willing to in any way say that Lillard is happy. He'll play happy, playing with Giannis and Middleton and what will be a great, great offense, some questionable defensive issues, losing Holiday. But if he wanted to win a championship, why not come out this entire time the way Giannis has come out, the way other players come out when it's not about location, it's about winning? Why not have come out, if you're Dame Lillard, and say, I don't want to be on the Trailblazers, because I don't believe they're in a position to win a championship. I want to go to a team that is ready to win right now. Then going to the Milwaukee Bucks is exactly what Dame wanted. But that's not what he said. He said, I want to go to Miami right now. Had he gone to Miami, would that make the Heat the absolute odds-on favor to win the title? We'll never know. I would be a no on that. But it was never about winning to Lillard. It was about Miami. The real empowerment in this situation belongs to Giannis. Giannis runs that team. And now the owner of the Bucks, the GM of the Bucks, the new coach of the Bucks, everybody is aware. This is superstar in charge to the 10th degree. 
Has Giannis earned that right? No, because I don't believe LeBron has earned the right to be the GM of the Lakers. I don't believe any player has earned the right to do both jobs. It's hard enough to be a player. It's hard enough to be a good player. It is very rare that you can both be a player and the team's GM and have it work. Giannis, by laying down the law in Milwaukee and scaring the bejesus out of the Bucks and the fan base by saying, I may leave as soon as I can. I wonder whether they called Giannis and said, what do you think about Dame? Because there's no way they made that trade without speaking to Giannis. There's no way they traded Holiday without speaking to Giannis. Grayson Allen, maybe. The fact that none of it leaked, the fact that in this case, there was a true mystery team and it wasn't the Raptors who weren't a mystery team as of yesterday, they were the favorites after months of it being Miami or bust. And then out of nowhere, here comes Milwaukee. I mean, Milwaukee's having a moment here, aren't they? Between the Brewers, the Bucks. God, what a great place to be. I guess I could say the Packers too. Jordan Love replacing Aaron Rodgers. I had a bunch of wait to seize about this when it comes to Dame Lillard. I want to go through them because when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I told you we revisit them. On June 27th of 2023, I said to you, Lillard will not be traded. That was wrong. That's a straight up no. The good news is on September 27th, aka yesterday, I had a wait to see that said Lillard will not be traded to the Heat by the start of training camp. Now, I grant you training camp has not started. And granted, it's possible the Milwaukee Bucks could still trade Lillard to the Miami Heat before October 3rd. I am throwing wait to see caution to the wind. And I'm taking a yes on that wait to see. So it's a split. What does it mean for the NBA? They're happy because the Milwaukee Bucks are a team that gets a lot of attention and now they'll get more attention. What does it mean for the Heat? That they go another day with their fan base upset. I'm here in Miami in Levitard Studios, Metal Arc Studios. It's really something. These Heat fans in this studio, it's as though they've never won a thing. It's as though Pat Riley is a pariah, a has-been, a hag. As though they don't have as many rings as fingers. Oh, they didn't get Donovan Mitchell. Oh, they didn't get Kevin Durant. Oh, we missed on Kyrie Irving. Oh, I wanted Bradley Beal. We've got guys bitching and moaning. We never get the whale. Shut up. You got LeBron James right in the middle of my time with the Marlins, ruining my, ruining four years of my life as president of the Marlins, winning two titles, going to four finals. No, we never get the whale here in Miami. Give me a break. Miami Heat could not win a title for 30 years, and they've still won more titles than they should on a percentage basis, assuming you should win a title once every 30 years. 30 teams. Not that it totally works that way, but it sort of does. Side note, I used to think about that. Marlins had two World Series. In baseball, there's 30 teams. You win a World Series once every 30 years. That's the odds. That means the Marlins are all set for 60 years. 
So in my head, I always thought that until 2057, we're good. After 2057, we got to win another World Series. But until then, it's all gravy. Speaking of the Marlins, boy, did they get screwed with that doubleheader and the Mets complete botching the grounds crew. We let off the show yesterday with a word of the day, TARP. You can listen to the segment where we talked about why the Marlins game in New York got postponed, why the Marlins had to play a doubleheader. The odds are when you play a doubleheader, you're going to split that doubleheader. The Marlins did split the doubleheader, but they gained a half game on the Chicago Cubs who lost to the Atlanta Braves. I'm going to talk about the Chicago Cubs and the Atlanta Braves, but first I want to mention how funny it is that our favorite owner, Stevie Cohn, not the Rawlings representative, the other Stevie Cohn. Boy, that's an inside baseball joke. And if you know, you know. Thank you for all the great gloves. Love Rawlings. Thank you, Stevie. Steve Cohn, the owner of the Mets, likes to take to Twitter only when he realizes that he's got a real problem or when things are going great. Other than that, when things are just normal bad, he's going to do a press conference at a coffee table saying we may trade people and then trade away Scherzer and Verlander and Fam, etc. But he took to Twitter yesterday to offer, quote, our sincere apologies to the Marlins and their fans for having to postpone last night's game. We know how important this series is to the Marlins and every effort was made to get the field playable. Horse hockey. Every effort was not made. Every effort would mean that the grounds crew knows that you don't put a tarp down on a wet field. Every effort would mean that you don't have six blow dryers. You've got a thousand blow dryers. Bring them from your hedge fund. I don't care where you get them. You got to get that game in. Taking a Twitter to offer your sincerest apologies as though you are Mr. Gentleman when it comes to sportsmanship. 18 years never came across one person who would be that gentlemanly between teams. Oh, we're all partners. We all have to pretend we love each other and we'll do anything to help each other. And we have great respect for the other team and what they're doing. Nope, we're trying to beat your ass. We're trying to take advantage of every little thing we can You think Steve Cohn wants the Marlins in the playoffs in his own division? You think one part of him wants to be reminded every single day that a team with a payroll one-third the size of the Mets payroll was able to not just be above 500 for the first time since 2009, but was able to be in October baseball while you're sitting at home trying to figure out whether you can convince Otani to fly two hours further east than he'd prefer to. It's completely preposterous. Almost as crazy as the Chicago Cubs getting in the playoffs. Now, I've got a thing with the Cubs. We beat them in 2003. They had not won their 2016 World Series yet, quite obviously. They thought they were going to get it in 03. And we beat them, and I saw Chicago fans crying in Game 7 when we were celebrating. It made me happy. I have great respect for Wrigley Field. I do not enjoy the Cubs. Love winning on the road. 
The Chicago Gubs have a chance to be in the playoffs this year, and they are not running toward the finish line. They're not limping toward the finish line. They are crawling as though they are six months old, where you do one crawl with one knee and then sort of roll over and cry and then crap your pants and then crawl another five feet at most while your parents clap and take video. As though it should be celebrated that you went 10 inches. The Cubs are blowing leads faster than Heath Bell. And more often, five games already this month, holding a lead in the eighth inning or later. That's the most such losses tied of any month in the last 50 years. So what do the Cubs do? Cubs are in Atlanta, taking leads into the ninth inning. And then Acuna says, you know what? I think I'll steal my 70th base. Can we take a moment on Ronald Acuna? He has 40 home runs and 70 stolen bases. Do you know how many times that's been done in the history of baseball? Wait a minute, let me check. Zero. Do you know how many times 40 home runs and 60 stolen bases has happened? Hold on, let me check. Zero. What makes me truly happy is watching that Braves team play. And I was not at all, at all happy when I was competing against the Braves, but I was in awe of their ability to win and win and win. So Acuna steals his 70th base. They stopped the game because Acuna ripped the bag out like Ricky Henderson, throws it in the air, They give him the base. And the Chicago Cubs announcers were less than happy. Let me tell you about how you deal with milestones in the middle of a game and when you stop a game and when you don't. When LeBron broke the scoring record, when he passed Kareem, you recall, they actually stopped the game, do a celebration, and then do another warm-up and continue the game. When a baseball player hits for the cycle, you don't stop the game, you clap. When a baseball player gets his 400th home run or 500th home run, you take a little extra time. You may get a time violation, a pitch clock violation. You clap. You don't do a ceremony. There's no microphones put on the field. The significance of doing something like getting your 70th stolen base It's damn cool. Never been done before. But mid-game, stopping it to take the base? No. The procedure that you... The procedure that you do when that happens, even when you're at home, is that you take the base after the inning's over. It's not as though it's in baseball when there's something related to the baseball and you don't want to put that baseball back in play, or there's something related to a basketball and you want to take that basketball out of play. You're not going to lose the NBA basketball the way you would lose an MLB baseball with a foul ball. In football, I get it because you could lose a football with a punt or with a pass that goes into the stand somehow. You could probably go get it if you had to. In baseball, you could probably go get it if you really needed to. But a base, 
we had a bunch of bases that we took out of circulation during our time in Miami. Whatever it was with a no hitter, when there was some offensive record or milestone, but never during the game. You do it in between innings. We keep a stack of bases extra. You switch bases out. We were times during the All-Star game or during Ichiro and Ichiro game or doing a special game where we would switch the bases out every inning in order to sell the bases at our team store or to give the base to a player, whatever the case may be. For his 70th stolen base, you take it after the inning. Pretty amazing, though, what's going on with the Cubs. But it's not even the most interesting story that the Cubs are going to be involved with in this last few days of the season. There's something happening in Milwaukee. Get ready. And it's not Dame. It's not Giannis. It's the Brew Crew, baby. The Milwaukee Brewers won the Central Division. I got that prediction wrong. I thought it would be the Cardinals. Boy, am I wrong. It was the Brewers. The Brewers are going to play the team with the worst wild card record. The third wild card will play the Brewers. Right now, the Cubs and Marlins are tied for the third wild card behind the Diamondbacks and Phillies. Guess who's playing three games to end the season? The Brewers and the Cubs. So hear me out on this. If the Brewers sweep the Cubs, that means the Brewers will play the Marlins. If the Brewers get swept by the Cubs, the likelihood is the Brewers will play the Cubs which means the Brewers are in position to choose their playoff opponent in the first round. I remind you, the first round is a best two out of three, and there's no travel. So all three games will be played next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at American Family Field in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There are times when you believe you have input into who you'll be playing but you need help from other teams and you sit down in your front office and decide how do you want to play it? Do you want to play it straight up? Do our rotation the way we would do it? Don't sit our regulars, try to win the games and see what happens. Let the chips fall where they may. Or do you tank it? Let me give you some background here on where the Brewers are. The Brewers and the Cubs have split their season series five to five with three games left. The Brewers beat the Marlins four out of seven, four games to three. The Brewers outscored the Marlins 40 to 17, though that number is a little disingenuous and misleading because one of the seven games against the Brewers was an absolute wipeout. I can't remember the exact score, but it may have been 16 to two or something like that. So the numbers would tell you the Brewers would rather play the Marlins. But it's not just about the numbers. American Family Field is approximately one and a half hours north of Wrigley. 
when the Cubs come to town and play in Milwaukee, it is a heavy Cubs crowd. Not to say that it's all Cubs fans, but it's a lot of them. When the Marlins come to play, it is 99.9% Brewers fans. As a front office, I'm evaluating not just who I want to play on the field, but what the environment will be in the ballpark. I sit down with the GM. I sit down with the manager. And we come to a conclusion what we want to do. If I'm the Milwaukee Brewers, I do not want to play the Cubs in the playoffs. I want to beat the Cubs. However, I also want to win a ring because there's never been a World Series parade in Milwaukee. Why pitch your best pitchers in the final series of the season when it's not relevant to where you're going to be Tuesday, October 3rd, you're going to be in Milwaukee? Why play your regulars and risk, risk them getting hurt? When you play a certain way to play an opponent, haven't you ever seen that it can backfire? So I am sitting with the manager and the GM, and I am suggesting that we go straight up. The reason I'm suggesting we go straight up is I don't want to screw with the baseball gods. I don't want to do anything that puts my team in jeopardy, even if I'd rather play the Marlins. Therefore, my rule this weekend against the Cubs, integrity of playoffs be damned. I'm not extending my great starting staff. I'm not overusing my bullpen in high leverage situations. And I'm certainly not playing my regulars all game, every game. I'm giving them off days. I want to keep them sharp for Tuesday, so I'm not going to sit them all three days. But I'm definitely sitting Yelich at least one of the two days. I'm definitely not letting Corbin Burns go nine or Woodruff or Peralta. And I haven't even looked at the rotation. But in a three-game series, one of them is going to pitch at the very least. So we will see what happens. But my prediction is that the Brewers will play it as though they are in the playoffs and they're protecting their interests for a long run into October versus making a short-term decision to choose their playoff opponent come Tuesday the 3rd. But let's watch for it. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to review a six-episode series that I watched on Amazon, and then we're going to talk about culture in the clubhouse and on the field. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 
21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Gwen, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson, Matthew Coca, live every day, 8 a.m. Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Please subscribe. And if you're listening to this, rate and review wherever you're listening, and then go to YouTube and hit subscribe. We started sending out the gifts, Coca, to the uh, people who donated over $250 to the Brett Parker, Michael J. Fox 48-hour run that we did last weekend. Thank you to all those who were so generous. Hope you like the Nothing Personal merch that you can find on davidsampsonpodcast.com. So I watched this series last, I can't remember when, but it was six episodes and I watched it over two days this weekend, before the weekend, before the challenge. It's called Wilderness with Jenna Coleman and Ashley Benson. Wilderness is about a couple where they need some IT advice, at least the guy does, because IT advice is when you get caught cheating because of Steve Jobs. If you know, you know. So Jenna Coleman's in a happy marriage. Everything's great. All of a sudden finds out that her husband's having an affair. She goes on a trip with him in the wilderness with an eye toward offing him. And who shows up on this trip? The woman who was, the husband was having the affair with, played by Ashley Benson. And over six episodes, it sounds like this is not even original. It's just another series about a man and a woman and an affair and a three-way and a triangle and who's going to kill who and who's going to tell on who, who's going to have a press conference when to explain why they did what they did and how they're a sex addict and need to go to rehab. But this is a little different. It's sort of like the River Wild, except it involves sex and affairs instead of 
murder. Here's my suggestion to you. If you're looking to watch a show that has quite a bit of tension, quite a bit of interesting back and forth where you think you know what's going on, but you don't exactly know what's going on and you can't turn away because you're all of a sudden interested, even though it's a topic that is completely overused in the media when it comes to scripted shows, limited series, movies, etc. Everyone's interested in affairs, but how do you differentiate yourself? With hiking boots? With a trip where you try to murder someone? That seems rather ordinary. So I, as this series is going on, am thinking to myself, I'm stopping. I don't need to keep going. Yet I couldn't stop, wouldn't stop, kept going. Every episode fascinated me more than the last until the denouement, which I said, wow, how's this gonna end? And then it ended in a way where I said, hmm, I sort of thought that could happen, but there's no way that was gonna happen. And then I tipped my cap to the writers and I said, welcome back to work. Thank God that you do what you do and I get to enjoy what you do. It's called Wilderness on Amazon. All right, I'm gonna talk about culture. We've talked about culture, Coca, but something happened in the last couple of days that is really quite something. Culture and chemistry. Winning is what you need in a clubhouse, but winning doesn't bring you chemistry. You can have a winning team where the players don't like each other, but they win. They like each other for the nine innings that are on the field, and the minute they're back in the clubhouse, they go to their corners, and that's it. You can have a team that loves hanging out, stays after the game and has beers and is in a group chat. There aren't different cliques according to race, creed, religion, sexual orientation. And yet on the field, they stink. It is far overblown, the correlation between chemistry, culture, and winning. Far overblown. But a couple things happened in the last couple days where there are players calling out culture as an excuse for lack of performance. And I'm gonna call them out because it's a bunch of excuses. It's a bunch of hogwash. Let's start over in San Fran where Logan Webb, who is trying to win a Cy Young but won't, he's gonna lose it to Blake Snell, he came out and said, the Cy Young is something I would like to do, but to be honest, winning is more fun. If we don't do that, it's kind of a waste. I'm tired of losing, it's not fun. And then he got serious. This is Logan Webb, good pitcher, spokesperson for the San Francisco Giants. We've got to make some big changes in here to create that winning culture. We want to show up every single year and try to win the whole thing. I mean, I think we're there. I don't know what it is. I'm just sick of losing, to be honest. It's never fun. Winning culture. Does that mean that he wants better food? Does that mean he's upset with the music in the clubhouse? Because after Logan Webb came out with the fact that he believes that Changes need to be made to create winning culture. The Athletic reported 
that certain Giants players are upset that there's music being played in the clubhouse post a loss and how that shows that players don't care. Let me tell you the inside scoop of what happens. When you win a game, the clubbies, while the players are doing high fives on the field, as they're walking off the field after they do their line of congrats, after a win, the clubbies put the music on in a predetermined playlist that they've been told to use. They press play so when the players get into the clubhouse through the tunnel, there's music blaring, celebrations happening, which is just high fives. Then they go to the showers, they go to the food room, they get dressed and they go home. When there's a loss, there is no on the field handshakes or there's no, if it's a walk off, there's no jumping up in a pile. There are people and players gathering their crap from the dugout, their bats, their gloves, the trainers get all of their stuff and they walk down the stairs through the tunnel into a silent clubhouse. There is no music played after a loss. The players go to their locker, they put their head in their hands, they get up, they shower, they go to the food room, they go home. Yes, it's true. Shower, food room, home, win or lose. And it happens quick. But it is true that music is not played in the clubhouse. Now you could play some Kenny G, maybe some George Benson, maybe some REO Speedwagon. I can't fight this feeling anymore. But no, it's generally silent. That said, if the captain of my team or a bunch of players got together and decided that they preferred to play music after a loss, but they were going to have a different playlist, a losing playlist, I would not say you can't do that. That's a losing culture. There shouldn't be celebrating losses. Now, if it's the same playlist after a loss that it is after a win, as the team president, I would not allow it. But that doesn't mean I require silence. And on top of that, it definitely doesn't mean that that shows that there is a telling sign in the clubhouse that they have a losing culture. But it's a good story to combine the Logan Webb, we need to create a winning culture, and then the other leaks saying they're playing music after a loss, you put it together and say, there's trouble on the streets of San Francisco. Okay, maybe, maybe not. But at least in San Francisco, they're not doing what Aaron Rodgers did in New York. Aaron Rodgers, after the Jets lost, and we covered the Zach Wilson situation this week, we covered the Joe Namath situation. Side note, Coca, did you see Robert Saul, the coach of the Jets, who came out as though he were Zach Wilson's campaign manager for comeback player of the year in the NFL two days ago? Yesterday, he said, you know... I get it that he hasn't been that great. That's the when we did the whole Kaepernick thing, whenever that was. Aaron Rodgers from California, not even at the Jets game because he's got the torn Achilles. He came out and said that he thinks his teammates in New York have to grow up. And I'm quoting him. 
not point fingers at each other. Don't point fingers at the coaching staff. Get back to work. Get the job done. We just need to grow up a little bit on offense. Lock in. Do our jobs. He's referring to a sideline kerfuffle that took place during the Jets' loss last weekend where there were players, young players, who were having a teeny tiny disagreement about something, maybe not getting the ball enough, maybe the plays that were called, maybe the effectiveness of the line, who knows? Whatever the case is, there was a public display of a problem. Do you think that that equals bad culture or losing culture? Managers come out when players go crazy on each other. They come out publicly and say, I like that fire. Or they say, we're a family. Families have squabbles. We'd prefer that to be in-house, but we understand that sometimes it happens out in front of the cameras. But we took care of it internally. That's the line you have to say. And we all love each other. Then you get the players to say, it's all good. We love each other. We took care of it. That is what you do when players get on each other. But why would Aaron Rodgers call out his teammates trying to show that he's the leader from afar? Trying to let everybody know that but for his not being there, nothing like this would have happened because we'd be winning games. Therefore, if we were winning games, we'd have a winning culture and no one would have any problems as though winning teams never have fights in the dugout or arguments in the clubhouse, which is absolutely wrong. Winning teams have that all the time. There actually is no correlation between what your record is and whether or not there's going to be a sideline issue because it's very much moment-related, not season-related. Heat of the moment, Asia, that's when the problems happen. And whether or not Aaron Rodgers is on the sideline is not going to make a difference. And whether or not you want that to be part of a culture discussion a chemistry discussion, it's simply not. So I have a suggestion for you, Aaron Rodgers. If you want to continue to call out your teammates and tell us how great things would be if you were still there, then get your ass on a plane and get east. Grab Taylor Swift, grab anyone you want. You think that he's going to show up to this week's game against the Chiefs? Let me give you a wait to see. You ready for it, Coca? We're doing an extra wait to see. Although it occurs to me that I didn't give you my original wait to see of this show. All right, here's what I want to do. Wait to see when I tell you something's going to happen. If it does, great, we'll revisit it. If it doesn't, great, we'll revisit it. Two wait to sees today. One long-term, one short-term. The long-term wait to see. The Milwaukee Bucks are winning the East. Their trade and acquisition of Dame Lillard combining him with Middleton, who I'm counting on to be healthy for 60 out of 80 games, maybe even hitting the load management threshold of 65 in order to be postseason award eligible, and Giannis not hurting his ankle every time he does the Euro step, where I have to hold my breath and panic that he's going to twist his ankle, break his knee, fall down, and be done. The Heat, goddammit, 4-8-69. The Bucks are winning the East. Wait to see. My second wait to see is Aaron Rodgers related. 
Aaron Rodgers calling out his teammates from afar is going to be at the next Jets game. Is it related to the fact that they're playing the Chiefs? And just yesterday, word came out as though this is the biggest news in the history of sports. Taylor Swift is going to another game. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jersey sales, ratings, bunch of girls, 18 to 34, watching Chiefs Jets when they don't give one flying rat's ass about the game. Amen. How nice of Taylor to go to another game. How great that she doesn't have any concerts scheduled for that particular moment. So she can be there cheering in a suite with the Kelsey mom and anybody else. And you can bet your bippy that the cameras will be focused on Taylor Swift. And you're going to see her more than Taylor freaking Reed. God, that would have been a great line if I had said it correctly. Two, eight, 69. And you can bet your bippy that the cameras will be focused on Taylor Swift more than they will on Andy Reid. He's the coach of the Chiefs, for those who may not know. But guess who doesn't want to be out of the spotlight? A-Rod. Aaron Rodgers is going to be at that game. Wait to see. Crutches and all. Nothing personal pick of the day. Did you see Garrett Cole shove it up the keister of the Blue Jays last night? A complete game shutout? And the Blue Jays are trying to make the playoffs? Garrett Cole, your American League Cy Young Award winner. Those Yankees. Without Garrett Cole, they're a they're a maybe a hundred loss team. It is amazing. It is likely they'll finish above 500. They are going home for the first time since 2016 when they did that trade of Chapman, helped the Cubs win the World Series, then signed Chapman back in 17. The Yankees, who are going to be dealing with plenty of things this offseason, trying to figure out what changes to make, what to do with Stanton, how to figure out what to do with their pitching, hitting, manager, general manager. They can look at the Garrett Cole contract and they can hire anyone they want to analyze whatever they want to analyze. Garrett Cole earned his money this year. He will be your Cy Young winner. Well, we've got Thursday night football. The Aaron Rodgers Packers are playing the kneecap-crushing Dan Campbell-led Lions. And the Packers are plus one and a half? I'm totally blanking right now, Coca. Please help me. Help me, Rhonda. Is that game, that game's got to be in Lambeau, doesn't it? Let me look. Here we go. NFL. Yes, the game's in Lambeau, of course. Packers plus one and a half at home. That's why I had them as my pick. I think the Lions are going to go to Lambeau. Everyone's saying they're, they're way improved under Campbell. I think I have a way to see that Campbell doesn't even make it through his contract. Anyway, that said, we're taking the Packers plus one and a half. In baseball, there is a huge series to end the season that starts. It's the Mariners and the Rangers. The AL West is still up for grabs. The Rangers found a way to turn it around pretty quickly. They've got a two and a half game lead over Houston and a four game lead over Seattle. Seattle could catch the Rangers if they sweep, but Seattle's also involved in a wild card race where they are behind the Astros. One and a half games. This is a huge series. 
I'm really not bullish on the Rangers, which is why we're taking the Mariners. So we're taking our 131 and 134 record. We're taking the Packers plus one and a half, the Mariners over the Rangers, and we'll be back tomorrow at 8 a.m. I promise. It's just business. This is nothing personal. 